Welcome to the In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast, resources, and other ways to get connected, please visit inthelight.church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Let's get there together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Reading from verse 13 to 16. If you don't have a Bible on you today, I'm sure they'll put the Scripture up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. Uh, I, I love to use the Version Bible app. How many people have got the Version app on your phone? So if you, if you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, then download the Version Bible app on your phone and bam, you'll have a Bible for free. If you don't have a smartphone and you want a Bible for free, then stay in the Hilton and Jack of Gideons. Either way, get yourself, get yourself a Bible. It would be helpful for your Christian walk. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. You, you, are, you are the light of the world. Today, I want to speak on the subject of influence but more specifically, influenced by design. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive, powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out, always making us better. Lord God, we thank you that your word never returns void. You always have an agenda. And I thank you that you would give me prophetic clarity, that I wouldn't just speak another message on another Sunday in another church, But Lord God, I would hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to this church. And I pray, God, that you would give them ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them. Lord God, I thank you that you would help me today. Jesus, more than anything, I pray, oh God, please, Jesus, help me not to be boring. And God, I pray for the men and women that are here today. God, Jesus, please help them not to be boring either. That's always really horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, (laughs) my wife, my very beautiful wife, Anna, uh, got our family a DNA test, a heritage ancestry DNA test a couple of years ago. And uh, because she thought it'd be a cool Christmas present. I thought it'd be a cool Christmas. I was pretty excited because I thought I was going to find some really cool ethnicity running through my veins. I thought I'd try to find some link back there to some exotic location, maybe, you know, in my, my DNA records. And then my DNA came back. And the result of my DNA is I am 50.1% Scottish, Welsh, or Irish, and 49.9% British. 
I have the single most boring <laughs> DNA on planet Earth. Take a look at me. I may be the whitest person you've ever seen. You've ever seen. There may be a whole new category of white for me. I may actually be translucent. I don't need to get x-rays. They just hold a light to my back and they can see deep into my soul. In fact, I thought that video, the guy that was rapping, doing the cool rapping thing, the little white guy, just see the white guy running in the video? You can always tell it's a white guy because he's trying to run on time. His dance moves were limited to this. Well, he's white. He's got more dance moves than me. I'm translucent. I have no rhythm. And I, and I don't know why I was surprised. I don't, I don't know why I was shocked because both sides of my family uh, that, that came to Australia originally in the 1800s came from England. They came from convict ships, prisoner boats. They were exports from Great Britain. On my father's side, uh, the first ancestor, male ancestor came out. He was exported from, that's how I like to use the term I like to, sounds a lot better than sent on a prisoner boat, um, for stealing a rabbit. Uh, his wife, she was sent over there for stealing a dress. On my mother's side, the first relative that we have was a man by the name of James Keyes. And he was sent on a prisoner boat. To be honest with you, slight overreaction, like a massive overreaction. Um, he was trying to borrow some money from a stranger <laughs> on a street corner, happened to have a gun in his hand at the time. They called it arm robbery. I like to think of it as suggested borrowing. So on both sides of my family, Criminals, that's my DNA, I'm a criminal. You thought I would have grown up brilliantly for a life of crime, but here I am in ministry. And, uh, which is actually a really good thing because I think if I had grown up with a life of crime, I'd be in jail for sure. Because as a young person, I, would, I was pretty much a horrible, anytime I tried to do anything wrong, my mother would bust me out. Um, I, I, when I was about 15 or something, I would smoke cigarettes, but my parents didn't know. So I had this foolproof plan on how my mum wouldn't know. So I'd go to the bathroom, I'd turn the shower on, steam it up, and I'd have a cigarette in the bathroom. Then I'd put my cigarette butt in a matchbox, close it up. Then I'd, I'd turn on the exhaust fan, suck all the air out, open the windows, let the fresh air in, and then get some of my dad's very, very expensive. You were talking about colognes, you know, you know the expensive ones like Old Spice. And I'd, I'd, <laughs> oh, it's weird, Old Spice air. Yeah. And uh, we'd spray it around. And then my mom one day, she's like, you're smoking in the bathroom. Like, how do you know? She goes, because you're a moron. And uh, <laughs> apparently I left my matchbox behind in the bathroom. Evidence got busted. It's terrible. I was terrible. I would have made, I remember another time um, there was this lady that lived across the road from us and we called her the hook. And we were horrible to this poor lady. 
me and my friends, Dickie Dean and Lenny Newey, we were horrible. We'd drive past, past her house. We'd yell out, "Ah, you old hawk! We'd throw stuff on a roof of a house. There may or may not have been an occasion where we put frogs in her mailbox with explosives. And we were, ter- we were, ter- we were horrible, this poor woman. And I was in my 20s when I said to my mum, remember that lady across the road when I was in high school in Melbourne? The hook. And my mum was like, why'd you call her the hook? Because she's sticking her nose in other people's business and she'd tell you when I was skipping school. And my mum said, she never once told me when you were skipping school. And I was like, well, how did you know? She goes, because you're a moron. (laughs) It's like... I grew up in Melbourne in the southern part of Australia. And if you flip America upside down, that's how the weather works in Australia. Further north you go, the hotter. Further south you go, the colder. And so Melbourne was a cold climate, but we didn't have central heating. And we just had one heater in the living room. And you'd turn it on and off. It was just, you know, it wasn't central heating. And so I'd go to school in winter. My mum would go to work about half an hour after me. And she'd turn the heater off. Well, we'd come home about half an hour after mum went to work, you don't want to be in a cold house, so we turn the heater on, leave it on all day, and then leave the house about half an hour before my mum got home from work. We didn't want to get caught. Turn the heater off. So she came home. Heat is still warm. It's called evidence. I'm a stupid person. I would have got busted. I would have left some, some form of, of DNA or something Behind. Now, here's the truth, that in life, every one of us is leaving something about us along the way, evidence of us, little bits and pieces of ourself are left behind all the time. We leave behind DNA, we leave behind fingerprints, in my case, cell phone charges, but we're always leaving little bits of ourself behind uh, all all the way. Uh, People uh, leave memories. We leave experiences, uh, deposits of ourselves. There are people that that, that leave like a a trail of relational breadcrumbs saying that they were there in our life. Some people leave uh, a, a scar. You can tell that they were there by the negative impact that they've had on your life and, and you know that they were there because of the pain that you feel when you think of them. Some people leave more like a stain. You, you know that they were there because they, the mess that they left behind. Other people leave a smile. You know that they were there because when you think about them, when you, when, when you meditate on that, that they, they, they make you feel good about you and about about your life. Both my parents, my mom and my dad, both passed in 2017. My mom passed in January and then my father passed in August. And I flew back to Australia to do both of their memorial services. When I did my dad's memorial service, I I did this thing called deposits of my father in me. So as I reflected on my life, I thought about all those things where, where I could see my dad in me. So like, if I laugh uncontrollably, like uncontrollably, I sound exactly like my dad. It's scary. 
actually sounds exactly like him. That's a deposit of my father and me. My, 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 my dad would say incredibly stupid things. I remember being in the vehicle once. My dad was traveling at about half the speed of smell. And this car went past us. <laughs> my dad leaned his head out the window, looked back at me and said, they're not going to get there any faster, you know. I wasn't great at math, <laughs> but I think he is, Dad. That is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Did you even get educated? <laughs> then I found myself one day saying to my daughter, she came in early, she said, Dad, can I have some ice cream? I said, no. She said, why not? I said, it's in the morning, it's too early for ice cream. Then I thought to myself, that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Is there actually a time in the day that ice cream's healthy? Do not eat it in the morning. It's unhealthy. But at three o'clock, it gets full of nutrients and protein. It's like kale. It's like really cold kale. Smash that sucker in. Three pin. Don't eat it in the morning. That's a deposit of my father and me. Stupid statements. I have a love for aeroplanes. My dad was in the military. I grew up on the Air Force Base when I was little. And so I have a love for planes. In fact, the weekend, that my father, the morning, I found out my father had passed. I was in church. And, uh, and I got the call between services. And I decided, just, we didn't live far from the church. So I decided just to walk home. And as I was walking home, Chicago Air Show was on. Three different fighter jets from three different generations flew over. It was almost like my dad was waving. It was just a cool moment. Uh, it was like my dad was waving, because I, I love planes, and I, that's a deposit of my father in, in, in me. And, and we can do that. We can look at parents. We can look at people of influence. We go back on our life, and we can see heroes, people that have left a deposit of themselves in our life. But then you've got to flip the script that you're leaving a deposit of you in other people's lives as you go through Sociologists say this. They say that even the most reserved, introverted person will have an impact on about 10,000 people in their lifetime. So the question is never, are you going to have influence? You are having influence. The question is, what sort of influence are you going to have? And will it be by accident, by default? Or will it be by design? If we're going to be the people of God that he's called us to be, then I believe that every one of us needs to live a life where our influence is by design and not by default. So let's talk a little bit about that today. Let's talk about purposeful living of having influence by, by design. If you're going to have influence by design, here's the first thing that you need to do is you actually need to own the mandate. You need to own that mandate. Jesus made this statement. He said, you are salt, you are light. You are the salt, you are the light. If you're a Christian, he said, you are the salt. He said, you are the light. It's not like an optional extra. He wasn't like, hey guys, now you're busy. Now you've got a lot of stuff on. Now you've got to check that Instagram feed. You know, a lot of things vying for your time. 
Hey, if you don't mind, it's not an inconvenience. Can I throw out a suggestion? Just want to throw it at you. See how you roll with it. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it. But if you don't mind, I'd like you to, if you could, suggestion. Would you mind trying, please? Pretty please with a cherry on top. Maybe if you've got some time, can you just, can you influence a few people? Can you be some salt and light? Is that okay? Don't have to be too salty. You don't have to be too lighty. It's whatever, whatever's, no. No, he, it wasn't a suggestion. He said, you are salt. He said, you, you are, if you're a Christian, you are salt. If you're a Christian, you are light. This is, this, it, no correspondence entered into, not a, not a matter of choice. You are having impact. You are having impact. Now, now salt is used for a variety of things, but one of the things salt is used for is to bring flavor out. In a meal, you use salt to bring the flavors of the other ingredients out. Salt is never intended to be the dominant flavor. You don't pick up a meal and eat a steak and go, man, I really want that to taste salty. I'd really like to notice the salt. Now you wanna notice all the other flavors that are brought out because of the salt. Now if there's too much salt, then all you can taste is salt and the meal is ruined. If there's no salt, then the meal is bland. But the right amount of salt, you don't even know the salt's there. You just know the meal is great because you can taste all the other. And that's what influence is. It's not about you and I lording it over and dominating people and all being about us and, hey, that's enough about me. Let's talk about me and my thing and my world and my way and my deal. No, people, when they hang around you, you should bring out the best in people. There's a world that's not trying to bring out the best in people. Talking about a, a, a royal refinery. If there's a royal refinery, when you start to refine gold, you put heat in the gold and you bring out all the dross so the dross can be taken away and the gold can become better. If you're in somebody else's life, you should be that fire that brings out the best in people, helps them get rid of the worst and they can be better because I've hung out with you. He says, you are, you are the light of the world. You are light. So if we turned all the lights out and there was no light, just darkness. So we couldn't see your beautiful face. We couldn't see the colours of your garments. We couldn't see the, the, the details of, of who you are and how God's designed you. Too much light and you can't see anything. I don't know if you've ever been in a worship service. You guys don't have them, but, but you've ever been in one of those like crazy, where they got the, the, like the intelligent lighting and those say, sweep across and they hit you in the eye. Have I had that? And you're like blinded. First of all, you think it's the Holy Ghost. And you just realize, no, it's just a crazy light guy. Or you've been in a vehicle and somebody has theirs on high beam and it just blinds you. What can you see when you're blinded by light? Nothing except the light. But the right amount of light. We've got light in here so we can see your face. We can see your, the color of your gum. It brings out the beauty. You are salt. You're supposed to bring out the flavor, the best. You are light. You're supposed to bring out the detail. When people hang around us as the church, they should be better because they've hung out with us. 
We should be helping make them the better version, the correct version, the God-intended version of their life. This world will try to destroy you. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans and said, don't be conformed any longer to this world. Why? Because the world has conformed you to an image that's not the way that God has made you, not the way that God has designed you. It's, it's a result of all those bad experiences. It's the scars, it's the smudges, it's the stains. It's the people that have had a negative impact and, and have twisted up and destroyed them. But God says, no, I want you to bring healing. I, I want you to bring wholeness. I want you to bring difference and bring the best out of people. This is our mandate. You are salt. Your workplace should be better because you're there. Your friends should be better because you're there. People who hang around with you should say, I want to spend more time with you because when I hang with you, I believe I can do it. I believe I can make it. I believe there's hope. I believe there's a future. I believe I can be a better version of me. You are salt. You are light. you got to own the mandate. Here's the second thing that you desperately need to do is you need to be self-aware. You've got to be self-aware. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? He said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. So Jesus now gives us three illustrations of things that will destroy your influence. You are salt, you are light, but if salt loses its flavour, if a city's hidden on a hill or a light is put under a basket, it loses its influence because it's not designed for those things. So he talks about three things that will block that positive influence with people around you. Salt losing its flavour, a city hidden on a hill, and a light that's been lit, but it's been hidden under a basket. Now, when it talks about salt losing its flavour, the word here in Greek that they use everywhere else in the Scripture is used for the word foolishness or stupidity. In, it's used in Romans 1.22, where it says, and they began to think up foolish ideas. That's the word foolish there. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, when he says, when God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish, that's the word there that they've used to interpret salt losing its flavour. So what he's saying is, when salt, it's crazy to think salt will lose its flavour because sodium chloride doesn't use its, lose its flavour. It, that's a stupid concept. But you can lose your flavour and nothing loses your flavour quicker than stupid. Nothing, nothing will lose your influence quicker than weird, quicker than crazy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, He says, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Here's the deal. You and I already start at a deficit with the world around us because we're Christians. And so they're gonna dislike you because you're a Christian. They're gonna think you're weird because you're a Christian. They're gonna think you're a little crazy because you're a Christian. You're already at a deficit just because you're a believer. So don't add anything to it. 
If you're going to have influence and you already know you're starting it negative, don't make it more negative. And hide that under, well, they hate me because I'm a Christian. No, they don't hate you because you're a Christian. They hate you because you're a weird Christian. You're a crazy Christian. You're a freaky person. You are not normal. You're blaming Jesus. They already Listen, the basic elements of our Christianity are already weird for people. The fact that you believe in God. Straight away, that, that makes you a little weird because you believe in God. And they're going to mock you because of that. And God said, that's okay. Because you believe Jesus. When you, you, I'm saved. How did you get saved? Think about the whole story. How did you get saved? Well, I gave my heart to Jesus. What does that even mean? He died on the cross. What does that mean? Well, he shed his blood. It's the, the scarlet thread of redemption. Blood shed all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's a basic element of Christianity. But let's be real. There was a point where you thought that was weird. Unless you were born saved. But you thought that was weird at one point, but you got a revelation that changed everything. But there was a point you thought it was weird. Because it is. To the natural mind, things of the Spirit seem weird. Listen, weirdness is only super weird when you don't know the weirdness is weird. Like when you're not aware of your weirdness, at least when it's weird and you know it's weird, you can explain it's weird. Like I'm prophetic. I, I, I have a prophetic gift. And if I operate in the prophetic, God will ask me to do things that are weird. But at least I know they're weird. And so I can say to you, hey, I felt like God told me to do this. I think it's weird. Then we can both go, it's weird, but I'd rather be obedient and weird than disobedient and not weird. But, but before we start everything, you and I understand this is weird. And hopefully it works. Like I was on an altar call praying once. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to breathe on people. <sighs> Benny Hinn style. There it is. Take it right now. <sighs> when God told me that, I said to God, no. No. <laughs> You do it. I am not doing that. If you do it, they're going to go, whoa, rushing mighty wind. If I do it, they're going to be, oh, too much Benny Hinn. Hallelujah. Come on, pick him up, Cheryl. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here it is right now. Take it now. Here's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> So I told God, no, if the Holy Spirit spoke to me again, blow on them. No, blow on them. So now, three or four times, now I know it's God. So I was able to, hey, listen. It's a little weird to me, but I want to be obedient. And so that's what I'm going to do. Everyone chill. And I, I remember I prayed for the first person. I did a camouflage blow so no one would see it. I was like, here it is, take it. It's like, power of God. <laughs> it's legit. That's literally how I did it. First thing I did was breath test. <laughs> no, it's, it was gone. Can I suggest to you, if God ever does tell you to do that, uh, there's definitely one time where you should never do that, is never, never do the thing and suck on a mint at the same time. Because those bad boys will leave your mouth at a fierce pace. 
I was praying for this one girl. I'm sucking them in. Here is that. Take the bag And that thing went like. It's like flames leaping off the mint. Boom, hit her in the chest. Now they call her Two Naval Nelly. It's where body piercing started, right there. Years ago on an altar call. Nothing will destroy you quicker than weirdness. My, my, one of my favorite penalties in American football is, uh, I find it amusing, is the penalty for unnecessary roughness. <laughs> you got some big, you know, linebacker or somebody, boom, hits a quarterback, knocks him back 20 feet, helmet goes off, breaks three ribs, dislocates a leg. He's lying on the ground in pain. But if that same guy walks over and goes, ha, 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 and like rubs him on the head, penalty on the play. That was unnecessary roughness. All the roughness before, totalist necessary. But you went overboard with the last, I just wish in church, there was a penalty for unnecessary weirdness. They could just drop a flag on the play. That was unnecessary weirdness. There's just enough weirdness. Like, like the whole concept of stretching our hands out and praying for people. That's, that's pretty normal, isn't it? Is that normal here? Would you do that here? Stretch your hands out, we're going to pray? That's normal. But I was in a park at a friend's wedding in Australia, youth pastor getting married in a, in a park in Brisbane, Australia, last year. And a uh, pastor at the end of the wedding said, stretch your hands out, pray for the bride and groom. This is normal. This is normal behavior. But about halfway through the prayer, I opened my eyes and I thought to myself, if you're driving past the park right now, and you saw 200 white people doing that in a park. You'd probably go into a different park today, Beryl. Gather the kids up in the Prius. We're out of here. It's a bad park. It's an evil park. God spoke to Samuel and he said, don't, don't anoint them. He said, because they all look good. He said, man looks at thee, God looks at the... Here's what we do. We never deal with the outward appearance because we use that Scripture not to deal with the outward appearance because we don't read the Scripture. Well, I don't need to worry about how I look because man looks at the outward, but God looks at my heart. Yeah, but who are you trying to reach? Are you trying to get God saved or man saved? God gave us a clue. They don't care about your heart. They don't give a rip about your heart. They get blocked at your appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. There's a clue. Outward appearance matters. Why? Because man looks at the... Who said that? God said, what did God say? Man looks at the... So what does man look at the... God looks at the... We, they'll never get to know our heart because we get blocked at the outward appearance. You need to start thinking about how you look on the out, like how you talk. Are you positive? Like, like don't get surprised if your children backslide at 16. If you talk bad about the church every lunchtime, what you didn't like, what you don't like, what you didn't like. 
Then you bring them to your youth pastor and you try to get your youth pastor to get them saved, expect he or she to do in 30 minutes on a Wednesday night what you've been destroying for 15 years of their life because you're your big yapper, gossiping and lying and slandering. People look at the way you talk. And, 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 and don't, don't like, like, why do we have to add so many spiritual cliches to pretend? Like we use the word amen like it's, like it's seasoning. And most times it doesn't mean anything. It's Christian um or ah. It's, non, it's nonsensical. I was in a church recently and they did a men's meeting promotion. And the guy doing the men's meeting promotion used the word amen 29 times. In two minutes. How do I know? I counted those bad boys. Because when he started out, amen, with his announcement, we've got a men's meeting, amen. I thought, here we go. 29 amens, amen. And he was using all the amens. He was using the double amen, amen and amen. He was using the super amen, amen and amen and amen. The men having a meeting, amen. There'll be men, amen. Gathering to eat some steak together, amen. We're going to be singing some songs, amen and amen. And having fellowship, amen and amen and amen. It's like, like, dude, just talk normal. It's not more godly because you use the word amen. Want to use Bible words? Why don't you just chuck the word tabernacle in there? It'd make the same sense. We're going to have a men's meeting, tabernacle. Let me eat some steak, Tabernacle. And having some fellowship, tabernacle, tabernacle, and tabernacle. Song of Solomon. Breastplate of righteousness. No one understands what you're saying. The way you talk is important. Should be life-giving, should be positive. The way you present yourselves, the way you dress, your physical body, Keep that sucker fit as best as you can. Best as you can. I won't go there. You, you, don't, want, you don't know me well enough. But how you present you. How you present you. Because we can present church me and then rest of the world me. I've been doing this thing a long time. I've been in the kingdom of God 30 years. And uh, one of my favorite things to still do every now and then, especially on a busy Sunday. So I travel most weeks. My wife's the executive pastor of the church that we're at, and I travel out of there. So sometimes when I'm home uh, at church, um, I, I don't have anything to do. Like I, I might do an announcement. I, last week I preached. And then my, my pastor, his dad, has a church, and I coach their youth ministry. And so I'm, quite, I'm there quite often. So his dad's church is 15,000. Their church is a couple of thousand. And so uh, at Easter, some years, I'll drive back to his dad's church to help out in the parking lot, direct traffic, because there's 30,000 people turn up on campus and they need help. And so I'll help in the parking But being in the parking lot is an education on how crazy Christians are. I've seen people drive in the parking lot, cussing their kids out in the back. As they're driving in, you can, you can hear them. They, they think they're like the cone of silence is on, but we can hear you and your crazy juice coming in. I swear to you, no exaggeration. I've seen people do that, slam the door. Well, hallelujah. Bless God, it's going to be a good day in the house and their kids walking behind them going, you're a hypocrite. 
You're a hypocrite. You can't play act who you are. It's external behavior, how we behave, how we dress, being a little bit more Christ-like. Yeah, just unnecessary weirdness. Here's the second thing he talks about is a city in seclusion. Because cities in those days weren't, weren't supposed to be built in hiding if they're on a hill. The reason you put them on a hill is you wanted everyone to see it. So he's saying, look, no one puts a city on a hill and then covers it in bush so no one can see the city. No, you put a city on a hill so everyone can see it so it can be a city of refuge and it can be a place of hope. You don't put the place of hope in a place of hiding. So a city in seclusion is also a thing that will destroy you. So we are, we are as Jesus described, in the world, but we're not of the world. When he prayed that, he said, I don't want you to take them, I don't want you to take them out of society. I want you to leave them in society, because why? I need them to be salt and light. You can't be salt and light and not connected. So I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them in the world so they're not of the world. Now that's a hard balance, especially when you first get saved. When you first become a Christian learning new behaviour and learning how to operate Christ-like is a challenge because the people that will judge you the most are the people that don't even know the Bible. How many of you are fairly new Christians? Give me a wave of your hand. Maybe call it new like the last two or three, five years, something like that. And then you learn a new behaviour and people would judge. I remember I was a brand new Christian, just fresh out of the jungle. And uh, I'm a chef. That was my trade. And you know all the crazy chefs you see on TV? That was me. I was a crazy chef. And, uh, and, and, but now I'm a Christian. And so I, I'm, I'm used to throwing stuff at people, <laughs> losing my temper, flicking plates. You know, that, that's, you know. Now, now, now I'm a Christian and everything in me is going, but it's got to come out of, Multiple times I had people go, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Mm, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> hey, hey, if anybody ever does that, because I had a lady at work do it to me, I just got ticked. She goes, oh, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> so I said, have you read the Bible? She's like, no. You read the Bible regularly? Well, no. Have you ever read the Bible cover to cover? No. Well, how would you know what a Christian's supposed to be like? I'm not listening to you. You have no idea. You're a stupid person. <laughs> but I remember there's this one night, one of, the, one of the trainees that we had in the kitchen, uh, it was a weird kitchen. It was like, it was like, there's only three of us cooking. The head chef, his name was Pierre, because it was a French restaurant, but he had a Scottish accent. So it's a... Scottish man with a French name who said he was Jewish. So it was a Jewish Scotsman with a French accent who was gay. I, as a gay, Scottish, Jewish, French guy, he, he was, and, and a drunk. He was a drunk, gay, Scottish, I'm not exaggerating, that was him, Scotty. And then he, the boy, his boyfriend, his boyfriend was, uh, Pierre, sorry, and his boyfriend was the, 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 the trainee. And I'm the Christian in the midst of that craziness. But I remember this one night, the trainee was giving me a hard time, giving me a really hard time, and I snapped. And I walked over, and I just grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and I boom up against the wall. And I stood back with my fist like this to punch him in the face. And I got about here, and I thought, oh, I think I'm destroying my Christian witness. 
don't think this is supposed to be how I behave. I did have scriptures come to mind. Lay hands on him and see if he recovers. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. So if I hit him in the left cheek, isn't hitting him in the right cheek turning the other cheek? So I put him down, apologized, and he went, oh, I thought you were a Christian. So sometimes when you're fresh, you go in the world and then you become of the world. When you go in the world and become of the world, that just makes you a hypocrite. If you're in the world and of the world, then you're just a hypocrite. If you're in school and you're just like every other student in school, you cuss like everybody else, you watch the same dirty videos as everybody else, you look at the same stuff on the internet, you're just doing the same crazy, same at work. If you go to work and you just behave like everybody else, there's no difference about you. If you're negative, if you're criticizing the boss, if you're complaining about the job, if you're sluggish, if you're late, if you leave early, if you steal stuff, you just do what everybody else is doing, then you're in the world and you're of the world and you are a hypocrite. But then the bigger challenge comes to us who've been saved a while. You guys like me, if you've been saved a long time, you've got to be careful that you don't become not of the world, but not in it. That your whole world consists of Christianity. And you live in your little Christian bubble, your little Christian house, do your little Christian things, all your Christian people celebrate you, but you have absolutely no influence. You can always tell how people feel about their church by how many people you invite to church. Is our church an invitable place or is it just a great haven for Christians? You can always tell the degree of the perceived weirdness of any church by how many of its own people invite their friends to church. Because most of our churches on Sunday are like our crazy family that we love and we're all doing our crazy stuff because we're happy, we're enjoying God, but there's not a snowflake's chance in Hades that we're going to invite a friend to church because they'll see our weirdness and not like us. So you're not supposed to be not of the world and in it, not in it. We're supposed to be in it and not of it. So we're supposed to be able to go in, have influence and not come out looking like them. Not like sounding. We're supposed to have the influence. We're supposed to be the salt and the light, not them. We're supposed to be the ones having the impact and nothing will do it more than hiding out and shame from, does that make sense? Here's the third thing that will rob you, is a, a lamp concealed. Is a lamp, is a lamp concealed. You've got to own the mandate and then, you, then you've got to make sure that you are being self-aware. Sit in seclusion and then a lamp concealed. You don't hide, you don't light a lamp and then hide it. Jesus didn't put his fire in you to then be ashamed of you. God wants to use you. And he's not like waiting for the most perfect version of you. Well, I'm not sure that God can use me because I've got all these issues. Well, just be aware of your issues and realize that God wants to use you despite your issues. Well, God, I'm not sure that you can use me. I've got issues. And God's like, what? You have issues? I was not aware that, that's my God voice. This is the Lord. That's how I think God sounds. 
which I'm praying that's how he sounds. Because it's going to be really weird if I get to the throne of heaven and he's like, hello. Who are you? I am the Lord, Jehovah Jireh. You try to find one hero in the Bible that God called, and they're like, I knew you were going to do that. Maybe, maybe Joseph. Maybe Joseph's probably one of the only ones that God gave a vision and he embraced it. Like, oh, yeah, it's me. I'm the man. And that was because of his dad set that up. Like his dad set him up to be able to believe that he could be great. Because his dad gave him a technicolor dream coat in a world of beige. Like all his brothers are eating Cheerios and his dad serving him Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> he knew he was special. And he knew he was special when God said, you're going to be special. Like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, man. But most other people, that wasn't like that. God called Moses. Moses. He's like, yes. <laughs> the Bible says he had a speech impediment. <laughs> most likely to be a lisp. When you think how jacked up his mother is, that kid's got a lisp. How many S's did she throw in his name? Could you get any more S's in a name? Hello, son, what's your name? Working in, work in a first grade. What's your name, son? My name's Moses. Your mother call you that? Yes, sir. Really? Yeah, seriously. God speaks to him and says, I want you to be this great. He's like, I, I can't, I'm a man of, my lips are weird. I can't talk properly. Gideon. Gideon. Yeah? You're a mighty man of valor. I'm a what? You are a mighty man of valor. <laughs> and you're a funny guy. What was Gideon's response? He's like, I can't be a mighty man of valor. Look at me, I'm threshing out wheat in a wine press. I'm hiding, why? I'm the weakest in my family. My family's the weakest in the tribe. My tribe's the weakest in the nation and our nation's being besieged by an enemy. I am lower than low than low. You call me a mighty man of valor? Because God, even, even think about Mary, when God called Mary. Mary, and it says, she's gonna be, have this child. And what was her answer? How can this be? I'm a virgin. And God's like, yeah, exactly. That's the plan. <laughs> That's what we were rolling with. We checked a couple of your friends who was like, eh, eh. <laughs> but you're good. Stay that way. It's helpful to the plan. What she thought was her excuse was, was God's validation of her ability. So when he says you're salt and light, he's not trying to get you from some point of perfection and being better than everybody else. It's God loving you and being gracious to you despite your mistakes. And sometimes that's the best part of our story. I've blown it, I've failed, I've messed up, but God's grace is sufficient. So we're not, we're not talking to people. 
We're not talking to people from this position where we are massively better and they're no good. No, no, man. It was, I know how you, but this is how I got on the other side. This is how I overcame that. This is how I broke that addiction. This is how I broke that pain. This is how I overcome this disappointment. That is how I overcome that hurt. I, I know what you're feeling, but I know there's hope on the other side of that pain. That's what salt and light is. That's what God wants to use you. So He's not waiting for you to be perfect. He's just saying, but, but, but you can't, don't, don't stack your imperfections up with things that make your imperfections even worse like weirdness. Does that make sense? So a great presentable part of you with all your weaknesses and frailties. He said, but let that light shine in the darkness. There's somebody at work that's hurting the same way you're hurting. There's somebody in your classroom at school, at college, that's hurting the same way that you're hurting. There's somebody walking through the same brokenness that you walk through, but they don't have any hope at the other side. But you know you can get there. And so you come alongside them. And can I pray with you? And can I support you? And can I cook you a meal? And can I help you? And can I encourage you? You're going to make it. And eventually win some influence into their life to say, would you like to come to church with me on a Sunday? And I'll take you out to lunch. It's influence. That's what it is. And I know you're there because of the smile that you left behind. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Subscribe to our podcast and social media outlets to be kept up to date with everything going on at Indolite Ministries in Philadelphia.